Our text this morning comes from Acts chapter 2. We're going to be looking at verses uh, 42 through 47. If you happen to be using one of the Pew Bibles, you'll find this on page uh, 911. If you're just joining us, we're uh, in the the third sermon in a five-part series uh, about the vision of our church, the vision of Grace Covenant Presbyterian Church. And we've been asking this question, who are we called to be? Okay, as, as the people in this church, as a church, who are we called to be? So I'm going to read this, our vision statement. You'll find this on the inside front cover of your bulletin. Let me read, for, read it for us again. Grace Covenant Presbyterian Church seeks to be a community that both glorifies and enjoys God in all that we do. Together we're pursuing authentic worship of Christ, a growing reliance on the gospel of grace, deep connection with one another, and faithful service to the whole of Williamsburg and the world. And the part of the vision statement we're talking about today is that we're a people who are pursuing deep connection with one another. Okay, that brings up certain questions. What is deep connection with one another? Uh, what would it be like? What would it look like for us to be a church of which that was true? And what does that say about how we value relationships as a church? If we're going to be people who are really connected to each other. Now, as of course today's Mother's Day. It may be appropriate because for many of us, our home is the first place we have a taste of uh, living in a community of people where we are really connected to each other. And often, uh, it's actually our mother that stands at the hub of that community, the one who's, who's calling people to that, who first gives us this taste of, here's a place where you can belong. Here's a place where you can be connected. So that's what we're looking at this morning. And before we get ready to read our text, let's, uh, let's pray together. Father, we pray that you would open up your word to us this morning. We live in a world that in so many ways is so deeply fractured. And we are a people who in so many ways are so deeply fractured and broken. But this passage we look at this morning shows us a picture of your people connected to each other. In a real community. Where people thrive and invest in each other, and where you are honored. And we pray that you would open this text up to us, that you might continue your work of turning us into a people like this. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Text is, uh, again, Acts 2, chapter 42 through 47. This passage comes right on the heels, it's in the first couple chapters of Acts, comes right on the heels of the Holy Spirit being poured out on God's people, and Peter standing up on the day of Pentecost and preaching the sermon after which 3,000 people come to faith right then and there. This church is suddenly born, and this passage immediately follows that, starting in verse 42. And they, the believers, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds, the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Okay, the first thing we're going to say this morning about this connection that we're talking about, we're going to be looking at this text to see what it tells us. But here's something about actually being connected to each other, about having a deep sense of connection together. 
It is a byproduct of something else. Okay, you can't aim for it itself and hit it. And in that way, it's a lot like having fun. Okay, how do you have fun? Uh, for those of you who are students, maybe those of you who are single, the recipe for disaster right here. You go on a date, you invite somebody on a date. So you go to dinner, go to a movie, go to a concert. Every seven and a half minutes, turn to that person and say, are we having fun yet? Are we having fun? Think about the things that you do that are fun, that you find enjoyable. Fun is one of those intangible things that you find that's a product of something else. It's almost impossible to have fun and be conscious about having fun at the same time. Fun is one of those things where you're in the middle of doing something you incredibly enjoy, and suddenly you stop and go, this is unbelievable. Or looking back, you say, what a fun day we had together. But it wasn't because you were trying to have fun. You were doing something together. If you're somebody who loves roller coasters and you go to Busch Gardens, you're not asking yourself as you're plunging over the, you know, over the precipice, you know, am I having fun right now? No, you're screaming. <laughs> and afterwards you go, wow, that was fun. But if you try to have fun, you will ruin it. You just can't have fun and think about it at the same time. And in the same way, we're going to see that this idea of being really connected together as a, as a group of people, we can't just grit our teeth and think real hard about really being connected together. Let's go have a conversation in the commons after church. Are we really connected? That's only going to come as a byproduct of something else. And so here's what we're going to see in this passage. The passage tells us that if we're going to be people who really are deeply connected, if we're going to be connected together as a church, then for us, deep connection with one another is a byproduct of devoting ourselves, of giving ourselves to four things that we see in this passage. And here they are. A shared story, a shared life, shared worship, and shared mission. Okay? Deep connection is a byproduct of sharing these things. So let's see what this passage says about these things. First, we have to be a people who are devoted to a shared story. Verse 42 says, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Okay. Soon after the day of Pentecost, what happens? The apostles begin to stand up and preach, and the church is formed, and God's people, this new body of believers, what do they devote themselves to? The teaching of the apostles, the teaching of these men that, God has, that Jesus has entrusted with his ministry and with his teaching. They devoted themselves to that teaching, that teaching about God's kingdom, about who Jesus was, what he had come to do, and what he had done in our lives. In other words, they devoted themselves to a new story. The apostles were standing and teaching these new believers about a new story that God had called them into. And everybody has got a story that they're trying to live by. Because our stories tell us two different things. Stories tell us who we are, and they tell us what is of ultimate value in life. Okay, so there is some story that you are living by that's answering those two questions for you, even if you're conscious of it not answering those questions very well. Something is telling you who I am, what gives me value, what gives me purpose, what, what, is, what, what is the rock on which I say, this is the person that I am, this tells me what I am, or here's the thing that is important to me in life. You have a story that's telling you that. And our story... This text is telling us our story is God's story, and it comes to us through God's own teaching. And here, these people experience that listening to the teaching at the mouth of the apostles. Now, what does that mean for us? We, as God's people, are also people who are in need of having a story spoken into our lives, and that story comes to us, the apostles' teaching comes to us through Scripture. 
That's what we think we're doing when we open the Bible. That we are hearing God's story being spoken into our lives. That we're, be giving, we're being given a new story. One that tells us who we are and what this world is all about and what's really important. And here's what this story of the apostles, which for us is this story of Scripture. What does it tell us about who we are? Well, it tells us that we were people who were created in God's image. That we were made very good. And the world around us was very good. And something went drastically and terribly wrong. That we actually turned away from our God. That there was a fall. That there was a break, a fracture. And part of our story is we look around and say, you see all this brokenness. We have an answer to that. This is a world that was made good but has gone wrong. But then there's also another important part of our story. That that fall is not the end of the story. That God did not let us go our own way. That he did not give up on us as we give up on him. Instead, he came after us. That story of a fall ends in a story of redemption. Where God actually sends his son to come and rescue us. To come and bring us life even though we turned away from it. Come and heal and restore us. Okay, Our story tells us who we are. And it tells us of what's, what is of most importance. We find that at the heart of the Christian story, that value is found in relationships. Think about the way Jesus responds, if you remember this story, to a lawyer that comes up to him and says, um, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And, and Jesus breaks it down, he breaks the law down for him in two ways. He says, love the Lord your God with all of your heart and all your soul and all your mind and your strength and love your neighbor as yourself. So that's, that's what your life is to be about. That's what we're made for. That's what our story is about. That we would be people who love God and love others. And that we would be people who have the healing work of Jesus in our lives, enabling us to do both those things. To love God, to be in relationship with him, to love other people, to have right and restored relationships. Okay, if that's our story, what does it mean to do what these apostles or what these early Christians did to devote ourselves to that? Honestly, I think for us as a church, this is something that we, um, that we really do hold as a high value. And that plays out in our community. That we are people together who are devoting ourselves to the scriptures. Because here we find this story. It means that we're called to be learners together. And we're pretty good at that. We need, we're to be learners of the story. And the second thing is we're to be appliers of this story. Think about what James 1.22 says. Be doers of the word, not hearers only. Okay, what does it mean for us to devote ourselves to the apostles' teaching? It means for us to know that story and to apply it, to live it out, to encourage each other in that. Now, part of that is that we not only be doers um, and learners, but that we be speakers of this story to one another. Think about what happens to somebody when they suffer from amnesia. They're in a wreck, something happens to them, and they wake up, maybe they're on the hospital bed, and they don't remember anything. Okay, they don't remember their name. They don't remember where they come from. They don't remember any of the facts about their lives. There are people who are literally just adrift because they don't have any connection anymore. They don't know who they are. And we are people who have spiritual amnesia. We're people who are constantly waking up in the morning, having forgotten again who we are and what's true about this world. And so what are we going to do? We're going to have to speak this story to each other. Some of you are familiar with a pastor uh, a number of years ago named Jack Miller, and here was his comment. Preach the gospel to yourself. And he could have said, preach the gospel to each other every day 
because every day you forget it. And I know you forget it because I forget it and I need you to speak it into my life. And because I have conversations with you that make it abundantly clear to me that you forget it too. (laughs) We all do. And we are all constantly in need of people who come around us that say, remember what is true. Remember what is true about who you are and God's good work in your life. Remember that the gospel holds hope out for you, even in the middle of this, even in the middle of this thing today. We would be speakers of this story. And that's why we try to do some of the things we do around here. That's why we actually have sermons in our services on Sunday morning. That's what we're trying to do in our Sunday school classes. That's part of what we're trying to do in our home fellowship groups that meet throughout the week. And our women's Bible studies, our men's Bible studies. That we're trying to provide opportunities that we might be people who better take this story in. Because if we're going to be people who are deeply connected to each other, we have to know that we're people who share a story. Okay, and the second thing, shared story. second thing is a shared life. Back to verse 42. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship. This word fellowship speaks of connection together. And if we're going to be connected together, if we're going to be people who are committed to a shared life, devoted to a shared life, then that's going to mean two things. One is that we are committed to not going it alone. It says they're devoted to fellowship, the shared life. If you look in verses 42 and, and then on down in verse 46, day by day attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts. One of the ways being deeply connected to each other and being committed to not going it alone for these people meant we're going to actually share our lives in a daily way. We're going to have meals together in each other's home. We're going to orient our community life in such a way that we actually brush shoulders with each other more than just on a Sunday morning. We're going to be people who are committed to not going it alone. And it's interesting what that sharing did for them. It says they shared meals in their home, receiving it, and then becoming generous themselves. That those who receive that kind of connection together are generous in sharing it with each other as well. Okay, now the harder part maybe for some of us, not only committed to not going it alone, we also need to be committed, committed to not letting others go it alone either. Verse 44, it says they had all things in common. Okay, what's going on here? These guys sort of primitive uh, Christian communism. That we're going to sell all our goods and we're just going to hold everything in common. That's not actually what's going on. If you see, if you read these next couple verses, you see that these people had private property. They didn't just hand it all over to the church and say rule our lives. What did they do? They were devoted to each other in such a way that whenever someone in their church had a need, they did what it took to meet that need. And for a lot of times, for a lot of them, that meant selling stuff that they had. They'd sell their land. They'd sell their possessions so that other people could have what they needed. They maintained private property, but now they saw their own stuff in a completely different way. Instead of saying, this is mine and I have to keep it at a distance from you, or I might lose it. Instead, they're saying, this is mine. How can I share it with the others around me who have need? They saw needs around them, and they adjusted their possessions accordingly. One of the commentators I read on this passage made this interesting comment. He said, these people had hearts turned inside out from protective selfishness to risky liberality. Who knows, I might, need, I might need this myself two months from now. They weren't asking that question. Here's someone in front of me who has a need for this now. 
And the result of this was, was a surprising fulfillment of what they would have known from their Bibles in Deuteronomy chapter 15, verses 4 and 5. Part of God's promise to his people in the land. Listen to what it says. There will be no poor among you, for the Lord will bless you in the land that the Lord your God is giving you for an inheritance to possess. If only you will strictly obey the voice of the Lord your God, being careful to do all this commandment that I command you today. There will be no, poor, no more poor among you, because the Lord would meet their need. Now it's interesting, again, as another commentator said, this is being played out in this community. Not with abundant crops, but with abundant hearts of God's people sharing with each other. That was how this was fulfilled for these people, that there was no need for them how. Because they shared what they had with each other. And they met the needs for each other. Okay, what's going to have to happen for us to become a people who, who, who live like this? Okay, whatever living like this should look like in our context. What's it going to mean for us to be a people who really care this deeply and radically for the needs of the people around us? Well, we're going to have to believe that God actually takes care of us. That we're not cut adrift in the universe. That we have a God who's holding us in his hand and is going to meet our needs maybe even surprisingly through the care of other people. But we're going to have to believe that God meets our needs if we're going to be willing to share. We're going to have to believe that our security doesn't come from holding on to our money or holding on to our time or holding on to our gifts, holding on to the things that we think are precious. And it means we're going to have to love each other more than we love our stuff or more than we love our free time or more than we love our personal space more than we love our ability to live without needing other people. Because some of us are willing to help others with needs, but we'd rather die than admit a real need for ourselves. Because self-sufficiency is something that we hold, to, that we hold close to our hearts. And self-sufficiency is dangerous because it covers its tracks. It makes itself look good. Because it hides our need from ourselves and each other. And it looks like this. Oh, I just don't want to burden someone else whether that's with this financial need or this um, hard news that I've received this week or this heartbreak that's going on in my life or this help that I need. I don't want to burden someone else. The truth is, often, we just don't want to need someone else. We don't want to have to deal with saying to someone else, it is not all put together and I have real and deep needs and I need your help to meet those. Living a shared life together means that we are people who know each other and allow ourselves to be known by each other. And having a shared life means that we are people who serve each other and allow ourselves to be served by the people around us. Okay, so we have a shared story. We have a shared, uh, we have a shared life. third thing we see in this passage is we have shared worship. Uh, we see that in, in three different places in this passage. If you look back in verse 42, it speaks of the breaking of the bread. Now, likely what was going on with these early believers is that they were, as you see a few verses later, they were sharing meals together in their homes. They were having each other over for dinner. They were spending time together. But often in these community meals, that those would have been a prelude to a reminder of the meal that Jesus shared with us. That the breaking of the bread here might also be a, a more technical term for sharing the Lord's Supper together. That those times of fellowship were also times of worship for them. 
Now, some of you come from church traditions that celebrated this way, had a common meal together, and that was culminated in the Lord's Supper. But these were people that shared that together, that shared a life of worship together. So the Lord's Supper. Second thing, verse 42, they devoted themselves to the prayers. They devoted themselves to corporate prayer. And that means exactly what it sounds like it means, that they spent time praying together. They devoted themselves to that, that it was more than just a formality for them, that this was a part of the lifeblood of their community. If we're going to be a people who are deeply connected to each other, then we're going to be a people who pray together. Because we're not in this thing alone, but God invites us into his people, and together we pray. And the third aspect of worship, you see, they attended the temple together where they, where they uh, both worshiped, praised, prayed. Verse 46, that they were in times of formal worship together as well. And all this just highlights the point that Christianity is about a relationship not only with Jesus, but with God's people as well. That it is meant to be intensely personal, but it is not a private affair. It is not just you and Jesus. But you were brought into God's people, and part of being connected with each other is that we would be people who worship together. And that means that worship can't be experienced virtu- virtually. It's not the same as just watching a worship service on a television, getting on the internet and listening to a sermon. There is something about worship that has to be shared together. You can't hear the babies crying on TV. You can't have somebody smile and shake your hand on TV. You can't have somebody look at you and be able to tell that something's going drastically wrong in your life when it's on TV. We are meant to be a people who worship together. And that's what the early church did here. Okay, now the fourth thing. Shared mission. Look at verse 47. This verse just intrigues me. Praising God, having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number... Day by day, those who were being saved. And I think some of what we see in this passage is that healthy things grow. Okay, a year ago, um, friends of my wife, mine, were moving out of town and they gave us all their plants, which was incredibly generous of them. They had these beautiful potted plants. Incredibly generous and incredibly foolish. Um, I forget to water plants. And many of those just sort of died off over the course of the summer. But what happens to healthy plants if you do what you're supposed to do, which is water them and feed them? What do they do? What do we expect them to do? We expect them to grow. And what we ought to expect to see among God's people is that God's church, his people, would grow. That that would begin to flourish. And here we see a picture of the church growing by conversion. If you remember what happened right before this passage we read, 3,000 people heard the gospel being preached to them and became new believers and then began to grow in this church. And we get on down to the end and it says, day by day the Lord was adding to their number those who were being saved. The church has a mission. Okay, We are called to something. And that's said in various ways in Scripture. Um, Matthew 28, 19, in Jesus' parting words with his disciples, he says, go and make disciples of all nations. He's saying, go and, and call other people into this faith and help them grow in it. That's what your mission is as a believer. This is what your mission is at church. Here in um, Acts, if you were to flip over back to chapter 1, verse 8, Jesus says uh, to his disciples, you know, uh, 
in his parting words there, he says, You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. You will be my witnesses. That is what your call is. That is what your mission is. That is what your context is now as a church. And that means for us, if we're going to be a healthy church, that the gospel always has to be doing two things at the same time. It has to be going in and it has to be going out. It has to be going into our own lives, individually and corporately, that we might be people who are growing in our faith. That over time, we're people that begin to see more and more our own deep need for Jesus and the goodness of his provision for us. That over time, we'd be people that are being changed more and more by the love of Jesus into people that really are self-giving, that really do share with each other that really do lay our lives down for each other, that really do step into every area of life, seeking to honor our Lord with that. All kinds of things the gospel does as it goes in. But while the gospel is going in, it also always has to be going out as well, going out into the world around us. Look at the early church here. What was happening? The people who came in, their lives were being transformed. And they were going out and, and being a witness to the world around them. And God was using that to grow his church. That healthy things grow, that we might grow in and grow out. Okay, let me ask a question. This is, this is the response section of this. Okay, if you are here, and not first-time visitors, but otherwise, if you're here and you are a member or you become a regular attender in this church in the past two years, okay, would you raise your hand? Okay, raise them high. I'm not going to embarrass you, I promise. Okay, all right, thanks. Put them down. Okay, now, raise your hand again if you were someone from that number of people who um, started coming to this, this church in those past two years because at that point, either through the ministry of this church or someone in this church, you became a Christian. Okay, I see one. Nelson, you're cheating. That was three years. <laughs> That's why I said two years, Nelson. Okay, now let me say this. I don't say that to shame us. But we are missing something. Now, Scripture never says God will definitely make your church grow in numbers. What does he say? That healthy things do grow. And here is just my point for us. Are we a people who want to see the kingdom expand? Who want to see our friends come to know the Lord? Who want to see our family members who don't know Jesus come to know him? Do we want that? And here's how we might know that we want it. That we're praying for it. And that we're actually having those conversations at the appropriate time. And that we're serving those people. And I think for a lot of us, the beginning point of this is going to have to be, Lord, I don't have any friends that I'm close to at all who don't know you and you have to give them to me. Starting point for a lot of us is going to be, we're going to have to cultivate relationships. We're going to have to actually be in our community in such a way that we know those who don't know Jesus. Because healthy things grow. And one of the effects of this community of believers was that other people were drawn in. Now, was that 100% God's work of converting people? Absolutely. Does he use means to do that? Yes, he does. Right before this, Peter stands up and preaches, and 3,000 people came to faith. 
Now, was that entirely the work of Jesus in their life? Yes, it was. And he used his sermon to do it. And here he uses his community of people to bring life and light to their city and their community. And he calls us to do the same thing. We need to be a people who are hungry to see people who don't know Jesus come to know him. We need to be a people who are hungry to see the kingdom grow. Because God is at work in our city, and he is at work in the world around us, and he calls us to be a part of that work. One of the most common and deadly diseases that Christians somehow acquire over time, and maybe we just teach each other how to speak in this language. I've heard it a million times. Um, I just feel spiritually dry right now. You know, there were times in my life where worship just felt very vibrant and strong, where uh, soon after I became a believer, that it just felt like God was at work everywhere I looked, and now I just feel spiritually dry. Now, let me suggest that part of that may well be because we become people who have no mission, and we're just walking around aimlessly. We read scripture, and it doesn't seem to resonate with our hearts because we, we don't see where we're supposed to go with it. We're not doing anything with it. And maybe our connection with other friends in the church becomes a little bit ingrown because we're not looking outward. We're not looking to see where is God at work and who would he have us reach. The gospel was good news for me. God means it to be good news for the people around me as well. And I would bet that as we step into this, that's going to have some effect on this feeling of being spiritually dry. Because as soon as you try to live and speak the hope of the gospel into other people's lives, you're going to suddenly find that the Bible is incredibly relevant. Because people are going to start asking you questions you've never thought of before. And you're going to have to say things like, I don't know, but that's a really good question. I'll come back. And you're going to see that you don't have what it takes to really love the people around you very well. And suddenly you're going to be praying that the Lord would give you strength to do that. And you're going to be asking people in this church to pray for you because suddenly you really deeply care for the people you work with. And you want to see something happen in their lives. And you need strength and encouragement along the way. I think we're going to find that the gospel is going to become incredibly relevant in a way that it's not when we lose sight of our mission. So what would it look like for us to grow in this area as a group of people, as a church, we become people who really do pray for, our, for God's kingdom to grow here in Williamsburg and in Virginia and around the world. That would be something that we pray about. That we pray regularly and specifically for people that we know, our friends, our family, the people we work with, the people in your gardening club, the people you see all the time in the grocery store. We'd be people who pray on our own, that we pray as our home, together with our home fellowship group, that we'd come on the third Thursday night of every month for corporate prayer and pray together. Now, I found something interesting as I've been pastor here for the past year. There's, there's a lot, I've found it, there's this huge grace period when you are the new pastor in a church. Everybody sort of gives you some space. But gradually, I'm starting to get, you know, sort of helpful comments, and they really are helpful. <laughs> and here's the kind of things that I hear. Um, I've had conversations with folks about things like, um, you know, how do we need to grow in our home fellowship groups? What's strong? What's not? Um, here are some things that people will say that we need to think about in our in our in our times of Sunday morning worship. Now, those conversations, by and large, are very helpful for me. 
and they are important things to talk about. But no one yet has come and banged on my door and said, it seems like we are not really having much of an impact on our city with the gospel. And it's driving me crazy, and I think that says something serious about us. I haven't had that conversation once. Because that hasn't been a felt need for us. Now again, this is not condemnation, it is invitation. God has called us into a mission. That's what this, that is what the church is about. Worshiping God and calling others into the worship of our God. And if we are not growing in that way, both growing in and growing out, then we are not going to be a healthy church. And Jesus wants us to be a healthy church. And it's going to begin with us praying. And it's going to begin with us getting to know people that don't know Jesus if you don't already. And it's going to mean sometimes inviting those people into our community of believers. Now, for some people, that might mean invite them to a Sunday morning service. For some people, that might mean invite them to your home fellowship group. For some people, that might mean get, an, get with another family who lives in your neighborhood and throw a party once a month for people that live around you. It could mean a lot of different things. But it's going to mean an in, in, in inviting of them in and a living out the gospel in front of them in our deeds of love towards other people and at the right times in the words that we speak to people calling them to this same faith, this same gift in Jesus that we have been given. Here's the thing, if we're going to be a people who are deeply connected to one another, if we take what we're talking about this morning and try to cram it in along the edges, they're going to feel frustrated because our lives already feel so full and are so full. And I think instead of stapling these things on the periphery, we're going to have to face up to what I think is the call here in this chapter, which is that these things are central to following Jesus. He has called us into a new community, his church, this body of believers. And that is unlike any other social organization you could possibly be a part of. It is a new family. It is a new community. And it's one that has a shared story. And it's one that has a shared life. It's one that has a shared witness. And one that has shared worship. These are central pieces of what it means for us to be a people who follow Jesus. And so maybe the way we apply this is we begin together asking the questions. How are we doing this? How are we not doing this? What does the Lord have for us? What are the opportunities that are ahead for us? How might we be a church that continues to grow in good ways, that we might see the kingdom grow, that we might see Jesus glorified? Let's pray. Father, we lift up to you our desire, maybe new, maybe growing. Maybe we're unaware of it. We should at least say our deep need to be connected to each other. Father, we thank you that you are the one who brings life and you bring it to us in the form of a community of believers around us. May we be people who really do share life and share a story and share worship and may we be a people who share a mission of witness to the world around us. Father, not simply that we might be healed and whole, but that you might be glorified, that your name might be held high. 
May we be a part of your work. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.